1 John, the, the big idea that, that really is relevant for us today as we look at Thanksgiving is that Christ followers should be thankful. Now you may say, Greg, that's cliche. You're just saying that because it's the Sunday before the big holiday. But the message of 1 John really is this. We can have true fellowship with God. We can have true fellowship with Jesus' son. And so grab your Bibles if you haven't opened already and you have a pew Bible. 1 John begins on page 1207. I want to read for you the very beginning verses of the book of 1 John and, and look for this big idea of fellowship. 1 John 1, 1 starts like this, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, we've touched and our hands have touched this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it. We testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared with us. Now look at verse 3. I want to put this up on the screen. John says, we proclaim to you what we have seen, what we have heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. What John is saying is, John's saying, this wasn't just history. This wasn't just a great idea. This wasn't just a great concept. John is saying, I saw Jesus. I heard Jesus. I touched Jesus with my hands. And guess what? So can you, through fellowship with God, through fellowship with Jesus Christ, his son. And for that, John says, we should be thankful. Let me ask you, how well do you know Thanksgiving? Do you think you know the holiday pretty well? Well, we're going to do something that I love to do. Many of you hate doing this, but we're going to take a test this morning. So get out a piece of paper if you want to, but we're going to test your knowledge of Thanksgiving. How well do you know this holiday? Question number one, when and where did the first Thanksgiving celebration take place in America? Was it 1565 in St. Augustine, Florida? Was it 1610 in Jamestown, Virginia? Was it 1621 in Plymouth, Massachusetts? Or was it 1775 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania? What do you think? Say it out loud. Survey says? It's B. That's exactly right. I was in Jamestown two summers ago, and they maintain that without a doubt, the winter had been so horrific of the original 400 who left England and came to Virginia, they were reduced to just 60. And yet the 60 gathered together and intentionally had a time of thanksgiving. They shared a meal and they gave thanks to God that 60 of them survived. Now, you can find a history book that will say A, B, or C is right, but this is my quiz. So B is the right answer. Okay, question number two. When and by whom did the first Thanksgiving proclamation setting a single date for the holiday take place in America by a POTUS, President of the United States? See, before this time, Thanksgiving was celebrated in all of the colonies and all of the states, but each state celebrated it on a different time. So who gave this proclamation? Was it George Washington in 1776? Was it Abraham Lincoln in 1863? Was it FDR in 1945 or Richard Nixon in 1974? What do you think? What do you think? The answer is B, Abraham Lincoln. In 1863, not long after the Battle of Gettysburg, 
gave a Thanksgiving proclamation setting the final Thursday in November as the day of Thanksgiving for all of the United States of America. Question number three, when and by whom, which POTUS, President of the United States, did Thanksgiving become an official federal holiday to be celebrated on the 4th Thursday in November? Was it Abraham Lincoln in 1864? Was it U.S. Grant in 1875? Was it Teddy Roosevelt in 1907? Or Franklin Delano Roosevelt in 1945? The answer is D, FDR in 1941. Ernie, you're not doing too well, are you, buddy? That's okay. That's okay. Which gospel and which chapter in the gospel records my favorite Thanksgiving passage in the Bible? The story of Jesus and the ten lepers. He healed the ten lepers. How many came back and said thanks? Just one. There's a sermon in there. Okay. Was it Matthew 17? Was it Mark 17? Was it Luke 17? Or was it John 17? What do you think? Survey says, C, Luke 17. If you said B, we need to talk afterwards because there is no Mark 17. But that's okay. Moving on. What meat is typically associated with Thanksgiving feasts? Is it ham? Is it steak? Is it turkey? Or is it deer? It probably should be deer, considering all the bucks that have been killed this week. What's the answer? C, turkey. Number five, which two NFL teams, number six, typically host Thanksgiving Day games? Is it Chicago and New England? Is it Detroit and Dallas? Is it Green Bay and Oakland? Is it Philadelphia and Pittsburgh? The answer is B, Dallas and Detroit. And then finally, number seven, what's the earliest possible date for Thanksgiving? What's the latest possible date for Thanksgiving? i got a whole bunch of choices up there for you, and I'm not even going to have you shout them out because most of you won't get it right, even though we know it's the fourth Thursday in November. That will be very easy. The earliest is November 22nd. The latest is November 28th. And next year, Thanksgiving will be as early as it possibly can be. And guess what? Two years from now, it'll be as late as it possibly can be. What's that have to do with the sermon? Are you wondering that a little bit? Some of you are wondering that question. Well, here's the point. I told you earlier that the book of 1 John, the big idea is you can have fellowship with God. You can have fellowship with Jesus Christ, his son. And in the book of 1 John, John uncovers what many commentators call three tests of this fellowship. Three tests of this life. And I guess what I want to do with this service today as we wrap up our time together, we don't have a lot of time to look at these tests, but as we go through this together, as we look at these three different tests, I want you to do a kind of spiritual assessment on this November the 20th. As you get ready probably for a week filled with a lot of happenings, a lot of meals, a lot of eating, a lot of leisure time activity, I want you to give yourself a self-test related to this big idea of having fellowship with God, having fellowship with Jesus Christ his Son. So test number one is this in the book of 1 John. We see it over and over again. John says this true fellowship leads us to love one another. John says you are called to love one another. 1 John 4, 7, and 8 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. We did our last church directory in 2006, and we asked the pastors, the preachers, the ministers to share their favorite verse 
This was the verse that Ernie Harvey picked as his favorite verse in the Bible. Let us love one another. In 1 John 2, John writes, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you've heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Verse 10, whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing to make him stumble. So the big idea first and foremost that John's trying to drive home is If you have this true fellowship, you will love one another. You won't think about it. You won't consider it. You won't ponder the possibility. He says, if you have fellowship with God, if you have fellowship with Jesus' Son, you will love one another. And guess who modeled that in such an excellent way for us? Jesus Christ himself. Think of John chapter 8, when that woman who'd been caught in sin, she'd been caught in adultery, the very act of adultery, was brought before Jesus and flung down in front of him. And they said, the law of the Old Testament says we must stone her to death. Jesus chose love. Now, he didn't say jump up and run back to your adulterous life. He said, leave your life of sin. But Jesus chose love love. In in one of his most famous parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the big idea is it doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter where you live, what province you live in. What matters is will you love one another, not with word, but with deed. And then maybe recognizable to all of us because we studied it not long ago in Luke 19, the story of Zacchaeus. That wee little man, the chief tax collector, was considered the scum of the earth. He was hated. My guess is that day as Jesus began to walk down that path and Zacchaeus began to come into that arena, uh, that, that path where he was walking, people didn't even want to look at him. People didn't even want to talk to Zacchaeus. They hated him so much. And yet Jesus said, I choose love. Zacchaeus, if everyone else hates you, I love you. I'm coming to your house today. And what a great transformation took place in Zacchaeus' life. He said, I'm going to give half of all I have to the poor. And anyone I cheated, I'll pay back not once, not twice, but four times. He chose love. And John says, you want fellowship with God the Father? Fellowship with Jesus' Son? Love one another. There's a second test in the book of 1 John, and here's this test. True fellowship results in obeying God's commands. It results in obeying God's commands. And right there, I know I lost some of you with that word obey. Because we're all, we're really good with that concept of love, but man, when you start talking about obeying, you start saying, Pastor, I don't know, you're going to tell me some stuff I can't do? You're going to tell me some relationships I shouldn't be in? You're going to tell me some behaviors I shouldn't embrace. And here's what John says. John says, if you have this true fellowship, you will obey God's commands. 1 John 1, this is kind of a long passage, but I want to flesh it out. John says, this is the message we've heard from him. We declare to you God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live by the truth. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just. He'll forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in his lives. And then later on in 1 John, 1 John 2, John says, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what, the, what he commands is a liar. The truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Okay, we're talking about obeying God's commands. What are some of the commands of Jesus? Did Jesus give us any commands that you can think of? Just shout it out. Love your brother? I mean, if we're going to obey his commands, we better know the commands, right? I, I took about three minutes and just jotted down ten commands from the Gospels. You might want to write these down. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said that's most important. Second, close to us, number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said multiple times in Scripture, do not worry. Anybody here worried anytime recently? I know I have. Jesus said, do not judge or you will be judged. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, right after that beautiful Lord's Prayer that moves many of us to tears, you know the very next thing he said? You have to forgive people. You can't hold on to it. If you won't forgive, then your Father in heaven won't forgive you. So I'll just say this with grace. If you're holding on to a grudge, if you won't forgive someone, I dare you to read Matthew 6, 14 and 15 and not live it out, not seek out forgiveness. Um, Jesus said, related to communion, what did he say? Do this in remembrance of me. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and make pew sitters, right? What did he say? Go and make disciples. Jesus said to end disputes quickly. Jesus said to love your enemies. Wouldn't it have been nice if he would have said, just love your friends, just love your family, just love Cub fans? Wouldn't that have been nice? He said, love your enemies, and then finally, enter through the narrow gate. Three minutes I came up with that list. There's probably ten times that many commands in God's Word. It reminds us, what, what do we need to do with God's Word? We need to be in the Word. That's why this year's been a great year for many of you. Because you've read the Bible more this year than any other year in your life. And that's why if you're not in the Word, I just, I beg you, I implore you, be in the word. Jesus says you want true fellowship, obey the commands of God. And then number three, test number three, we're almost done. This true fellowship is sealed by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. In 1 John 4, beginning with verse 14, John says, and we have seen and testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges, if anyone believes that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him. And he is God. And then 1 John 5, verse 1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. In verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 
Do you know where Jesus himself introduced this, this importance in believing that he is the Son of God? Any idea? If you want to, real quickly, turn in your Bible to John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, a guy by the name of Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. He, he wasn't really sure who Jesus was. He wasn't really sure what was playing out. He was a Pharisee, so he had to kind of do it in secret. We, we've looked at this some this fall. And in the process, he started to engage Jesus. And Jesus said things to him like, if you want to be saved, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus couldn't figure that out. How can an adult male be born again? And they had a great conversation. And then Jesus said these words. Some of you will recognize this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it but to save the world through him. I want to say something in conclusion today, and I want my words to be very, very clear. I don't want anyone to misunderstand what I'm saying here. We are a church that practices baptism by immersion as part of the salvation process unashamedly. We're going to witness a baptism in just a little bit. Um, I'll never change my belief and my opinion as I study God's word that it's part of the salvation process. Hear me loud and clear on that. But, but here's what I want you to hear. Here's what I want you to understand. I think for too long, whether it was because of what was proclaimed or how it was interpreted, many people walked out of these doors thinking that all I have to do is get baptized. If I go into the baptistry and I'm put down under the water and I'm brought back out of the water, I am good to go. Everything's set. Everything is good. Doesn't matter how I live. Doesn't matter what I think. Doesn't matter what's in my heart. I've been baptized. Again, baptism is absolutely part of the salvation process as I read God's word. But here's what I want to say as I conclude with you today. Too many of us have missed the incredible importance of believing in our heart and believing in our head and believing with our hands that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. For too many of us, it's just kind of been happenstance. It's just kind of been par for the course. We haven't passionately said, yes, I believe. And so as we go into this Thanksgiving season, I really hope that as we look at these three different tests, this fellowship with God, this fellowship with Jesus, that you will love one another, that you will have a passion to know his commands and obey his commands, but that you will with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. He's the hope for this world because here's why. When you really believe, when you truly believe, the little things pass away and focus becomes crystal clear for us. We don't have questions of, should I get upset about this? Should I be bothered about that? We are focused on what really, truly matters most. And what matters most, according to John, is that we can have fellowship with God. We can have fellowship with Jesus Christ, the Son. And because of that, your bottom line this morning is this. Give thanks with a grateful heart that you can have that fellowship, that personal relationship. It's the greatest news in the history 
of great news. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for today and a chance to look at your word. And I love so much this book of 1 John. There's so much basic truth, basic theology. And yet, it's life-changing. It's transforming. It's difference-making. And so right now, as we move toward our time of commitment, it's my prayer that each and every person that's here today, they would just be confronted with that question, do I believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do I believe He's the Son of the living God? And if I believe that in my heart, and if I believe that in my head, and if I believe that with all of my being, how can I not live every day in a radical, crazy kind of way for Jesus, my Savior? God, thanks so much that we can have fellowship with you. We can know you. We can see you. We can touch you because of Jesus, your Son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. It is invitation time. And if you're not a Christ follower, I want to just tell you, I don't care what time it is, I would love to have you come forward this morning and give your life to Jesus Christ. It's the greatest decision that I have ever made in my 42 years of life on this earth. And if you've never made that decision, I invite you today to come forward as we stand and the band leads us in our song of commitment. Lord, I give my heart, give band for leading us in that song. You may be seated. We're really excited to be able to conclude our service today with uh, Cassie's baptism. And I'm going to read my favorite passage of scripture on baptism in the New Testament, Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, Paul is wrestling with sin and grace. And and does, does it make a difference? And what difference does it make? And here's what he writes. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Cassie Hinton, because you desire to follow Jesus Christ all the days of your life, it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins and the gift.
Amen. I've got two announcements that I want to make. I want to remind you of all that's happening in the life of our church, community Thanksgiving service.